stepped out of the bathroom, and as soon as I stepped out of the bathroom, my head, like, it was like a bomb went off, and I fell down, and I threw up, and I was like, oh God, this is bad. And so I screamed for the babysitter, and she came running, and I just remember telling her, I was like, I'm having a stroke, I'm gonna die. I was in the ICU for about a month. I had surgery to put uh, coils in the aneurysm. The coils kind of clot it off so it stops bleeding. And then after the coils, I had to have another surgery to put a shunt in. Physically, it was enough, but the emotional toll that the brain injury takes on you, I felt was not addressed very well. One of the first things they told me when I was extubated and kind of able to make my own decisions was, okay, you know, you had this injury, this brain injury, and what we know about these types of injuries is that depression is very common. Be patient with yourself. There are going to be times when your symptoms are worse than other times. And when that happens, you just have to be, you know, be aware and, and take breaks. And if you need to lay down and take a nap and recharge your battery, then you should. Hello, this is Stroke Stories, and I'm Mark Goodyear. Surgery after stroke is sometimes necessary to stop a bleed or to remove a clot. The surgery will often prevent another stroke from occurring. Whether or not you have surgery depends on the seriousness of the bleed or the size of the clot or whether there are any other complications from the stroke itself. Operations are becoming more sophisticated and more effective and prospects for stroke patients surviving and thriving are increasing all the time. But when you're home, you might need resources to help you while you think about your future. So, we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll hear from Rebecca Wagner from Ohio, who suffered a stroke at the age of 37. Life before the stroke was pretty hectic. I had a two-year-old son, and I had one-year-old triplet boys. So I had four kids aged two and under, basically. <laughs> and it was kind of crazy. My One of my triplets was really sick. He was oxygen-dependent. He had a number of birth defects when he was born. He was in the NICU for a long time. And he got all his meds through his G-tube and all his nutrition through his G-tube. So he's strictly tube-fed. So it was stressful, you know, having all these little kids and then all the medical issues for my one son. And then I worked part-time. So everything was kind of, you know, crazy and there was a lot going on, a lot of appointments for the kids, a lot of medical visits for Gabe and just trying to take care of myself and get sleep. <laughs> it, it was kind of crazy. 
I took Gabe that morning to get x-rays. He had to get x-rays of his hands and his feet. And, you know, it's an ordeal getting him out the door with the oxygen and the feeding tube. And so I had to take him to the hospital and kind of hold him down because he was pretty upset getting the x-rays. And I started to get a, a pretty bad headache. And I remember getting kind of hot and just feeling, oh, this doesn't feel right, you know, and that was kind of stressful. And I really wanted to get out of there and go home. And we had a babysitter at the time for my other kids because I was out with Gabe. So she was at the house and I wanted to kind of get, you know, the other kids settled so I could maybe lay down because I had to work that day in the afternoon. So I eventually got Gabe home and I walked in the door and I put him down. He was in his infant car seat, you know, so I put him down with the oxygen tank and everything and I went upstairs and I took, you know, like a, a pain reliever, just a like Tylenol for my head and I stepped out of the bathroom and as soon as I stepped out of the bathroom, my head, like, it was like a bomb went off, and I fell down, and I threw up, and I was like, oh, God, this is bad, and so I screamed for the babysitter, and she came running, and I just remember telling her, I was like, I'm having a stroke, I'm gonna die, like, you know, hold my hand, and she did, and she called 911, and I kept telling her, you know, tell everybody I'm I'm sorry and that I love them and you know, I just I was crying. I was hysterical. I was certain that I was going to die. So she called 911 and I don't really remember them showing up. Um at that point I was pretty out of it, but my family said that I was responding to them in the hospital and I was talking to them and I was telling them, you know, I'm going to die and I'm sorry. And I don't remember any of that. But they did eventually do a CAT scan and found the aneurysm that was bleeding on one of the arteries in the back of my head. And once they found that, they life flighted me to a bigger hospital downtown. The severity of Rebecca's stroke meant she had to spend a number of weeks in hospital. I was in the ICU for about a month. I had surgery to put uh, coils in the aneurysm. The coils kind of clot it off so it stops bleeding. And... Then after the coils, I had to have another surgery to put a shunt in. The cerebral spinal fluid and the blood in my head wasn't absorbing the way it was supposed to. So because of that, they had to put a shunt in, which is permanent. I still have the shunt. And then after I got my shunt surgery, they transferred me to kind of like a step-down unit. And I was there for another couple of weeks, and I started physical therapy there, which was really kind of grueling at first. It was like, we want you to just move your neck, you know? And so for like the first three or four days, all I did was work on moving my head from side to side and 
lifting my legs up and lifting my arms up. And then eventually, you know, they got me to stand up with a walker and then move to a chair. And eventually I took a few steps with the walker. And then, you know, eventually I was walking around the unit. So that was a couple of weeks. So all in all, I was in the hospital for about six weeks. And then they sent me to a a rehab facility where I got physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy a few times a day. And I was there for another like two and a half weeks. And then I got to go home. I was a bit nervous. You know, I was still having headaches pretty frequently. And, you know, we have a lot of help with the kids. We have pretty big families. And, um, it was, you know, amazing to have all that help, but I still knew that, you know, I wanted to hang out with the kids and see the kids, but I didn't know if I'd be able to handle that with how much pain I was in. So I was worried, but at the same time, I was definitely ready to go home. My husband took an extended leave off of work. So it was nice that they let him do that. Like it was, it was all unpaid and, you know, we kind of struggled a little bit financially in that time period, but, you know, he was home and he was really very good with the kids and was helping out a lot. So I was able to to rest and, you know, recover a little bit more because of that. So that was very helpful. And we had so much help from family and friends, you know, our neighbors, making us food and just, it was amazing to to see how many people really like buckled down and cared about us and cared about our kids and helped us out. It's very humbling experience to know how many people are like in your circle and, and care that much. We had like a meal train set up on Facebook and, and a lot of people brought us food through that. And that was very helpful. So that was probably the biggest thing that we did. But it was overwhelming the amount of people that helped us in a good way, overwhelming in a good way. For Rebecca, the stroke caused a great deal of emotional trauma that she hadn't expected. Physically, it was enough, but The emotional toll that the brain injury takes on you, I felt was not addressed very well. One of the first things they told me when I was extubated and kind of able to make my own decisions was, okay, you know, you had this injury, this brain injury. And what we know about these types of injuries is that depression is very common after a brain injury. So we want to start you on an antidepressant. And I was like, yeah, sure, that is reasonable and makes sense. And so I started taking an antidepressant and, you know, I didn't really realize how awful the mental aspect of having this happen to you is. So I got home and, you know, I had a lot of anxiety about every little twinge in my head and every little symptom. And is this going to happen again? You know, I I actually live really close to the hospital where I was initially treated and where I took the helicopter ride out of and, and went downtown. So the helicopters fly over my house all the time. And I started getting kind of panic attacks when I would see them, a little bit of PTSD symptoms. And I was not prepared for that at all. Like I had 
no idea. And so I started having flashbacks to the ride in the helicopter and started having nightmares about helicopters. So the mental aspect of what happened to me really wasn't addressed. You know, it wasn't like, you know, you may experience some crazy symptoms of, you know, anxiety and depression and PTSD when you go home. So once all that started happening, I had to see, you know, an outside doctor and just kind of explain like, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. You know, I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm having nightmares. I'm, you know, so that part of it really was not addressed very well, in my opinion. But like the physical stuff, the Even the pain management was really great. The stuff with the physical therapy, getting me to walk around was really great. Speech therapy was good. But the mental health aspect definitely was lacking. Rebecca was also pleasantly surprised at the reaction her workplace had to her stroke. I've been at this job for almost 11 years now. So, you know, at the time I was working part time, so I didn't have benefits that typical full-time employees have. Like I didn't have Family Medical Leave Act where you could take off work and your job is guaranteed when you come back to work. So I kind of expected that I was going to be let go. So after I recovered and had my surgeries and I reached out to my employer and I was like, you know, what are the chances I could come back? And you know, come back to my original part-time schedule that I had. And they were like, yeah, whenever you're ready, come back. And I was like, I was so grateful. So I I did go back part-time and I stayed part-time for a while and now I'm back full-time. So, you know, kind of eased into it and the symptoms just got better over time and I was able to go back full-time. So I was very lucky that a lot of that fell into place the way it did. The effects of Rebecca's stroke ranged far beyond the physical. She was left suffering from severe anxiety, depression and PTSD as a result of her experience. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Rebecca's thoughts on the effect of her stroke on her children. They know I have a boo-boo in my head. My oldest son was there when the ambulance came to take me for the the mini stroke that I had a couple weeks ago. And I think he was affected by it a little bit. I think he was kind of nervous. He's five now. So he kind of knew what was going on and that something was wrong. And he was a little upset. And her concerns for the future. I guess a little more nervous about the future. Like, I feel, especially with the TIA, I just kind of feel like I've always felt since it happened that I'm just kind of a ticking time bomb waiting for something else to to go off inside my head and, you know, take me out, basically. That's hard to deal with, but it's always in the back of my mind. Let's hear how Rebecca continues to cope with the aftermath of her stroke. I still get headaches. I have, like, a lot of hardware in my head. You know, I have the platinum coils... I have a stent, and because of that, I have to take a full-strength aspirin every day because there's risk of, you know, clots coming off of those things. And about two weeks ago, I actually had a TIA or a mini-stroke, and I had to be hospitalized. Like, I was at work, and I was trying to type, and my left hand just 
it wouldn't work anymore. It just, it wouldn't type, it wouldn't move. And it was very kind of like pins and needles and weak and kind of numb. And I stood up and my left leg felt like it was going to give out. So I had, you know, complete left-sided weakness. So I knew, you know, something was happening and we called 911 and I had an overnight hospital stay. They did a bunch of scans. They thought maybe my shunt was malfunctioning, but everything looked okay there. So they diagnosed me with a TIA. And that was scary, you know, because TIAs are kind of like warning signs for a bigger stroke to come. So they put me on another blood thinner. So now I'm on two, I'm on the aspirin and uh, clopidogrel, which is another blood thinner. So I've got bruises everywhere. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, I, I get really tired very easily. So I, I have to take a lot of breaks. I try and get as much sleep as I can. It's kind of like, that's another thing that they didn't talk about in the hospital was this thing called neurofatigue. Basically, like, you know, your brain just kind of gets tired and you have days where there's a lot of chaos and a lot of things going on and you just fizzle out earlier than you would have before the stroke. So it's like, oh my gosh, I need to go to bed. And, you know, you don't always feel very well rested. So the neuro fatigue and the depression, anxiety, PTSD are the hardest parts. The headaches have pretty much resolved for me. I don't, I don't get them very often. I, I, have like a dull headache here and there every now and then. But like the fear and anxiety that comes with those symptoms is is the worst. You know, it's like, what what is going on? Is this just residual effects from the previous stroke? Is this another stroke? Is this, you know, it's it's scary to have those things happen and to be worried about it all the time. I started therapy just last week, actually. So I'm starting to try and get some more coping tips. It's definitely something I need to work on. So hopefully with time, I'll be able to have more in my arsenal and ways of dealing with those types of things. I've met a lot of people through social media, which is just amazing to see how many young people there are out there. You know, when I was in rehab, it was like I was the youngest person there and everybody was like, what happened to you? Why are you here? <laughs> you know, so to go on social media and see all these people posting their stories and talking about it, it's been really great to see and just talk to people and be like, wow, you know, and what are you dealing with? And, you know, how's your symptoms? And it's it's been amazing, really. There's other people out there dealing with this. And my neurosurgeon's nurse practitioner wanted to start a support group, and she never got it off the ground. So just to have people in your corner saying, you know, yeah, I had a bad day today too, or keep doing what you're doing and, and keep fighting, and every day is a gift. And, you know, having that encouragement is just really uplifting, especially from people who are, you know, similar in age or even younger than me who have gone through it and who have worse symptoms than I do. It's, it's very inspiring. Rebecca has also made sure not to hide her stroke from her children. 
They know I have a boo-boo in my head. My oldest son was there when the ambulance came to take me for the the mini stroke that I had a couple weeks ago. And I think he was affected by it a little bit. I think he was kind of nervous. He's five now. So he kind of knew what was going on and that something was wrong and he was a little upset. But other than that, I don't think they really understand yet. My son and I, you know, we had a little day together like right after it happened and he he started asking me questions about it. And he was like, how did you know you had a boo-boo in your head and how long has it been there? And, you know, it was, it was interesting to see from a five-year-old's perspective, the questions he was asking. And I thought it was very insightful for him. So we talked about it a little bit, but I, I don't think they really understand yet what it means and, you know, what happened to me. But yeah, I think with time, they'll definitely have more questions. Rebecca's focus now is enjoying the time she spends with her family. I wish I had exciting things coming up, but really we just try and get through the day with all these kids and, you know, they're starting school next week. All four of them are going to be in school and this is the first time for that. So, you know, we're just kind of getting into into a new school year and seeing how that plays out. My son still has a G-tube and we're working on getting him off of the G-tube and getting him to learn how to eat. So that's, you know, really crossing my fingers for that, that we can get rid of that tube. But just, you know, just enjoying the kids and, and working and trying to get as much rest as I can. That's about as exciting as my life gets. I think I've definitely changed. I'm, I guess, a little more nervous about the future. Like, I feel, especially with the TIA, I just kind of feel like I've always felt since it happened that I'm just kind of a ticking time bomb waiting for something else to to go off inside my head and, you know, take me out, basically. That's hard to deal with, but it's always in the back of my mind. I just try and remember that I've got some great things to live for and to look forward to, you know, watching my kids grow up. And I try and enjoy what I can when I can. Some days it's hard when they're really loud and chaotic because the the noise does get to me more than it did before the stroke. I definitely think that I'm a little bit more cautious and reserved, I guess, than before. And finally, here's Rebecca's advice for stroke survivors and their families. For a friend or a family member, I would say just be patient with them because they're going through a lot of changes and they're probably frustrated a lot at the time. Like, you know, I I have difficulty sometimes with word recall. Like, I know what I want to say, but I can't remember the word and it irritates me. So be patient with them. Be as compassionate and understanding as you can. If they tell you, I'm really tired, you know, they're not being lazy. Just let them take a break and go lay down for a few minutes. And it takes a lot more energy now than it did before. So definitely give them the space and the luxury of being able to take care of themselves. 
And my advice for stroke survivors would kind of be similar to that. You know, be patient with yourself. There are going to be times when your symptoms are worse than other times. And when that happens, you just have to be, you know, be aware and and take breaks. And if you need to lay down and take a nap and recharge your battery, then you should, because in the long run, you know, you're going to be better off for it. If you find yourself struggling with, you know, the depression that comes with having a stroke, having a brain injury and and all the changes that happen after it, don't be afraid to ask for help. It's not a shameful thing. People need to understand that mental health is as important as physical health. And, you know, if you need medication, don't be afraid to talk to your doctor. If you need to find somebody to talk to, don't be afraid to to find a therapist and, and make time to take care of yourself. Rebecca's stroke was hugely traumatic, but she's continued to be open with her friends and family about her experience and is back working and enjoying spending time with her kids. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. I actually just woke up one morning. I woke up and I had this real terrible eye pain. And it kind of felt like my eye was just getting ready to pop out of the eye socket. And I didn't know what was going on. But um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, happened to be home that day. And I asked her to take me to the hospital that was right down in the neighborhood because I just didn't feel comfortable driving. Please remember to subscribe to Stroke Stories on your favourite podcast provider, so each episode will be downloaded automatically. And if you have time, rate and comment on what you hear, because that will help us spread the word. If you'd like to learn more about stroke, please search for The Stroke Association online. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.